This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 48. and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to finally return to Trinity with issue number five, and we're also going to talk about Superman number 16, and those issues are cover dated January 18th and February 1st, respectively, from 2017. These are both really good stories. Uh, for different reasons uh, that I'll talk to you once I get into them. But first, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, one thing that has always been, I wouldn't necessarily say a debate, but I would just a matter of taste among Superman fans is how Clark's civilian persona is portrayed in the comics, in the movies, in the animated series, and so forth. Because you have a wide spectrum. In the Golden Age, um, he is portrayed as openly cowardly. In the George Reeves uh, 1950s TV show and in the 1940s radio show, he is portrayed as kind of a man... A man of action, if not outright action, at least of bold intent. In the Silver Age, he's kind of bumbling. Um, in the in the Christopher Reeves movies, he is kind of bumbling. In um, in the John Byrne reboot, he's more dynamic, like like he was portrayed by by George Reeves, and so forth and so on. With things often doubling back around and repeating themselves, as is the nature of comics. Um, but I think that the 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 normies' perspe- perception of Clark, uh, if only because probably the Christopher Reeves movies are the most well known, is that Clark is not exactly a manly man. He's he's not an alpha dude. He's not a He's not portrayed as being take you know a, a take charge kind of guy. He's not portrayed as a ladies' man. Um, he's often you know carries himself very slouchy so that he looks like he's kind of out of shape. And I bring this up because it occurs to me, and I I honestly find this very funny that from an alpha dude's perspective. I would not be particularly, uh, if one were to describe me, as a very, you know, take charge alpha dude kind of myself. So let's, let us count the ways, shall we? First, I'm a vegan. I do not eat meat. Um, I do not eat 
any almost any animal animal products with like one exception being honey and that's kind of a you know debatable amongst vegans um and you know, the consumption of meat is such a big part of of you know if you're if you're a real american you eat beef kind of thing and i don't eat meat um i'm very liberal you know, I'm a feminist. I I strongly believe in in LGBTQ equality, so forth and so on. Um, I used to drive a hybrid. The only reason I don't anymore is because it got destroyed in a hurricane. Uh, and the hurricane is partly the fault of global warming, which is partly the fault of people driving around in great big gas gas guzzling pickup trucks, and the need to drive a big gas powered, you know. Monster Mobile is such a big part of Alpha Dude culture. Um, I wear comic book t-shirts almost everywhere I go, and I spend a lot of my time uh, obsessing about grown men in tights, being superheroes. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in a very conservative town with very, uh, very narrow view of what a young man is supposed to do. You play sports, you hunt, you fish, and I assume other activities once one gets to high school, but I thankfully moved out of that town right before I started high school. Um, and I, I remember very clearly a lot of the other boys saying that I was you know, less than masculine for liking superhero comics and graphic detail. Um, and I, I don't know what the, what the general per perception of how normies think of grown men who like comic books. I, I think with some of the mainstreaming of, of superheroes from the big two, that's maybe becoming less of a thing, but it is probably looked down on somewhat as being kind of childish as com compared to, you know, saying being a huge football fan or whatever. Um, but I've always laughed off that comparison. Um, like a good example is I was out walking with my daughter the other day. Um, she's kind of limited as, as to what physical activity she can do because of some of her, um, medical limitations that I've talked about on previous episodes. Um, but we go through for a nature walk almost every day and we were out and, and we were talking and it, we got talking about the Lord of the Rings movies that we watched recently, and I started quoting Gimli the Dwarf in my best Gimli the Dwarf Scottish accent, uh, which she calls Scrooge McDwarf. Um, and I, I do it very loudly, so she's looking around like, Dad, you know, someone might hear you. I'm like, and? She's like, well, they may think you're silly. I don't care. You know, if I was worried about what other people thought, I wouldn't have been, you know, proudly proclaim myself as a comic book fan in a town like this, uh, like where I grew up. Uh, if I was worried about what other people thought of me, I would not have been a big, openly been a big fan of death metal, uh, working in a very conservative, um, career for like 15 years. You know, so, um, you know, what people think about how Clark should be portrayed, I've always thought is very interesting. Um, for me, to me, there is no right answer. I don't like the super cowardly portrayal of the Golden Age. 
I don't mind the bumbling persona. I think it's a little silly. Um, but, you know, I don't want, I wouldn't want Clark to be overly assertive and overly, um, I guess, masculine, you know, to, for lack of a better term, because that's Superman's job. Superman's job is to go get business done. And Clark is how he stays under the radar, or at least it was until Bendis came along. And according to Philip Kennedy Johnson, we'll be returning to that status quo somehow in the near future. But, you know, for me, it, if other people think that I'm less of a, a dude because I like comics, because I like Superman, um, because I don't want to consume dead animals uh, because I don't want to drive a big gas guzzler car. That's their problem. And, you know, if, according to my, uh, to my demographics or my show, most of you that are listening are also uh, uh, male type people. And, you know, hello, ladies as well. Uh, but if you are... If, if you're worried about what other people think of you for being a comic book fan, uh, the best I can say is don't. Because you, you have to live your life by your own personal joy. And if that joy is thinking way too much about uh, grown folks that wear skin-tight, colorful costumes, then that's your joy. And you should bra- embrace it to the absolute best of your ability uh, without concerning yourself with what narrow-minded people think. So this is a pretty fairly rambling uh, Fortress of Solitude this week. Uh, I apologize for that, but it is what's been on my mind. It was just something that popped into my brain the other day that I found very amusing, and it seemed like a good opportunity to share it. But that's all the thoughts I have to think about that. So let's go talk about some comic books. All right, let's get started this week with Trinity number five, cover dated January 17th, 2000. I'm sorry, no, excuse me, January 18th, 2017. For a minute there, I was like, wow, we're up to 2018 already? When did that happen? Oh, well. Now, I know this is a deviation from my usual formula where I do a issue that is all about Clark first, and then I do, you know, going forward, either... Trinity, or New Superman, or beginning in two weeks, Super Sons, ta-da! Um, but, honestly, of the two, I, this one not only comes first chronologically, but I, I like this issue better, so we're going to get started with it. And this issue, by the way, is uh, scripted with uh, interior art and cover art by Francis Manipole. Steve Wands did the letters and the variant cover is by Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, very short list of... There's a whole, whole lot of other credits about associate editors and group editors and uh, Siegel and Schuster and special arrangements and so forth and so on. Wow. But there's really like four, three people contributed to this comic book. And they did a very good job. So speaking of the main cover... Um, it is of uh, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, all with the black mercy flowers attached to their chest. 
and Wonder Woman and Batman are both unconscious. Superman is just barely holding on to consciousness, and one of his hands is holding each, uh, each holding Wonder Woman's hand and Batman's hand. Um, and Poison Ivy has a vine wrapped around his neck and is looking at him almost kindly, and we'll see why as we get into it. And the three heroes and Ivy are all surrounded by, by Black Mercy blossoms. But then in the background, we see uh, Mongol's maniacally smiling face. And the uh, other four characters are all held within Mongol's grasp. And it's a very cool, very effective cover. Uh, I am still struggling with the navigation on my new phone. Every time I swipe uh, to the to the next page with my right thumb, about half the time it it takes me back to the uh, to the read this book page of the app, which drives me nuts. The variant cover by Sinkevich is of our three Trinity members, um, just looking very Sinkevich esque on a blank background. There's no real way to describe it other than Sinkevich-esque. It's it's a very artistically done cover, but it it's fine. It just doesn't really do anything for me. I just really, really like Maniple's art, so I'm going to lean that direction. Now, as a brief recap, um, as the cover would imply, uh, Clark, Diana, and Bruce have all been trapped in the the group um the collective dream slash hallucination of the black mercy and um in issue two we had clark's dream of him getting to talk to his father one more time at a time when clark himself was very young in bruce's dream uh it's clark confronting young bruce who's having intense hallucinations um, that all manifest themselves as different Batman villains while he's being counseled by Harleen Quinzel. And in Wonder Woman's dream, um, the three of them made their way to Themyscira, where Diana herself was rejected because there already was a younger version of of herself there. So the theme of each dream is that they are meeting a younger version of themselves, which is really neat. And, um, you know, it's that Diana is welcomed, uh, with the rest of the Amazons, but Clark and Bruce have to be imprisoned and Wonder Woman accepts banishment from Themyscira rather than, than, you know, allow her two friends to be locked up for no good reason. And they finally make it out of their dreams to this kind of beyond space which is where they encounter Mongol. And meanwhile, um, uh, Clark, Diana, and Bruce are all in Clark's family's barn, which is where they all have the, the Black Mercy attached to them. And Lois discovers that the person who has trapped them all in the Black Mercy is Poison Ivy. So in some way that we don't know yet, as we start reading this, Ivy and Mongol seem to be working together, which is an interesting pairing. It's not one that you would ever think of. Um, sadly, they don't work in a Wonder Woman villain into this as well. I'm just going to spoil it right here. Um, that would have been a neat touch for the opening arc of this book, but we have a, a straight-out 
enemy of Superman's and a sometimes foe, sometimes I think ally, uh, or at least tangential ally of Batman's and Poison Ivy. Then we open with Ivy narrating this. And she's talking about how her connection to the green has somehow allowed her to enter her own dreams. And we get some close-ups on Ivy, and Manipul does a really good job with the coloring in this, where he actually draws this dusting of freckles across uh, Ivy's face and across her upper chest and across her arms. And I, I really, really like that touch. I'm a, I'm a sucker for redhead and freckles. What can I say? Um, and she talks about how she, she's been going into this dream space a lot. And one time she encountered this kind of gender neutral child who looks like a very young version of Mongol. And we see this kid just standing there holding this massive double-bladed battle axe. It's as big as, as they are. And, uh, Ivy says, well, I, I didn't know if the child was a boy or a girl, but then Ivy goes on to refer to the child as she and refer to the child as her daughter. And this is apparently coming on the heels of a miniseries called Poison Ivy, Cycle of Life and Death. And a few years ago, I went through this phase where I was really into Swamp Thing. And so I had this Swamp Thing themed Twitter account. And through that, I met a bunch of Poison Ivy fans, surprisingly enough. And I became very sympathetic of the character through them. And Ivy, through their perspective, they saw Ivy as more of an anti-hero than a villain. Um, what I've come to appreciate about Poison Ivy is she acts in a way that she thinks she's doing so for a good reason, but she seems to be very psychologically damaged, and um, often her methods are selfish and destructive, but ultimately she thinks of herself as a good person. So, you know, who, who can really say? I would say it's very subjective as to whether or not IB is a hero, a villain, or an anti-hero. And so um, there's a scene where Ivy's taking the child by the hand and they're walking off and they're leaving the battle axe behind and Ivy's showing the child how to create life, you know, planting seeds and growing things. And she takes one of the vines and attaches it to the child's wrist and she says, I taught the child how to love. And it says, but then I was taken away. And we show Mongol shadow looming up and separating Ivy and the child and forcing Ivy out of this dream that she hasn't been able to re-enter. Um, and so what she has done is tried to concoct a way to bring her child out into the real world. And she, she believes that the, the Black Mercy is the best way to do that and she's discovered this massive solar energy source coming from this barn and <laughs> coming from the farm. And so she, she, she took Clark and Diana and Bruce, all of which are in their civilian identities, 
and strapped them into the Black Mercy. And she says, look, one of them is putting out this massive amount of solar energy that is um, going to be used as a gateway to both worlds. And she's going to use this energy to draw what she thinks of as her daughter out into the real world. And Lois is like, look, you know, if you want to be with your daughter, go back into your dream space. And Ivy's like, nope, no more dreaming. I'm gonna, I want the real thing. So from there, we go into the shared dreamscape of the Black Mercy. And we see Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all charging Mongol. Mongol looks huge. He looks like Hulk big, if not bigger. And then the child is kind of squatting on a big rock behind Mongol and looking kind of menacing, honestly. And by now, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman have all realized that they are in the Black Mercy. Um, and they know that they're dreaming. And with that understanding, they realize they can control their dreams. So they're like, all right, Mongol, you know, either you are a creation of the Black Mercy or your consciousness is somehow in here too, but this is our dream and we control it. At which point, Mongol stomps Superman's head into the ground, punches Wonder Woman in the torso with a fist that's as big as her entire torso, and then wraps his hand around Batman's head, holding off off the ground. And the child is saying, Father, you can't kill them, at least not yet. And Mongol's like, You're right, my child. I guess it is in my nature to conquer. But the child says, And you will. But to do that, we need them alive. And so the Trinity starts fighting back. Uh, Superman elbows Mongol in the chest. Batman throws like a exploding capsule in his face. Wonder Woman kicks him in the head. They stomp him to the ground. And Wonder Woman is saying, this twisted fantasy, your manipulations of our past has only made us stronger. And Mongol says, ha ha ha, the three of you really are fools. I didn't do any of that. And uh, Mongol goes on to say that uh, I was once blind to the truth like you. Then this child... When this child appeared, I opened my eyes. And um, Mongol says that you are not in your dreams, you are in mine. And with that, Mongol grows like several stories tall. Now, I think Mongol got stuck in the Black Mercy from a Green Lantern core story. Now, I don't know if that was from New 52... Or if it was actually pre-New 52. I remember reading one. And it had something to do, I think, with Mogo. And how Mongol was farming these these Black Mercy plants and something. And then he got like sucked into the Black Mercy. Um, but here he has, and he has been able to take control of his own hallucination. And he is... So it's not that Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are all having three different shared hallucinations. They're all inside of Mongol's dream. And uh, he says that what the three of you experienced was crafted by my child, born from death and despair. And we get this really darkly awesome scene of Mongol sitting on a throne of bones, and around his feet are scattered the corpses of several different versions of Superman. We have the Kingdom Come version, we have the Golden Age version, 
we have the traditional, I guess, uh, pre-Flashpoint. We have the animated version. We have the long-haired resurrection suit version in the Blue Energy version. And basically saying that when he got trapped in the Black Mercy, the Mercy created this wonderful fantasy for him where he gets to kill Superman over and over and over again. And he was pleased, but something was missing. Was missing, excuse me. Um, And he says, I'd gotten what I wanted, but not what I needed. That's when my white Mercy was born. And we see the child as an infant crawling out of the skulls. And Mungle says, I can't explain how, but this place gifted me an heir, a child capable of channeling not only the dreams of this world, but the nightmares as well. And it shows this montage of how Mongol taught the child to kill. Uh, we see it uh, holding Kingdom Come Superman by the throat, getting ready to punch him. We see him taking an axe to... Um, all-Star Superman in the white suit from the end of the miniseries. And we see uh, another version of Superman lying dead on the ground, and we see his cape um, just hanging limply off of something in kind of an homage to the death of Superman. And, um, and Mongol says, My world was perfect. Then one day our world was breached by an outsider. And that is where we see, from the child's perspective, poison ivy finding the child and the kid is still holding this massive battle axe that he used to kill this uh dream version of all-star superman and uh mongol says so we gained her trust and even her love when she got everything she needed she let her guard down and revealed her secrets this entire world is a creation of the black mercy plant and her connection to something called the green allowed her to access it she was going to be our salvation. But he said, but first I had to send her back to your world. So basically, Mongol said, look, I got Poison Ivy to love this small being that was created to be my child and my companion. We kicked her out knowing that she would do whatever she could to try to bring the child out into our the real world, a conduit that I, Mongol, could use to escape from the Black Mercy. Now, my assumption at this, I don't, I don't really know what's going on with Mongol in this time. I don't know if his body has been completely destroyed and absorbed by the Black Mercies, or if his body's still alive. I know that there is a version of Mongol that appears after this, obviously, that. Uh, is killed to set the way for the War World Saga. But Mongol is one of those really interesting characters that if he dies, it's okay, because you can say, well, that was, you know, my father, and now I am Mongol's, Mongol, son of Mongol. You know, who knows? It's There's always a Mongol. They're always identical. It would be interesting, it would be nice, if they all looked a little different from each other, but they're all pretty much the same, which kind of makes an interesting way to do a basically immortal character. Um, And we see how the child took on different disguises in each of their dreams. Um, It was a disembodied voice that was speaking to young Clark within the dream. Um, It was Harleen in Batman's dream, and it was Hippolyta in Wonder Woman's dream. 
And Mongol says, your bodies are empty vessels in the outside world, Superman. The powers of the sun bursting through your body will ensure my child's dominance over your world. It's ours for the taking. And so we see back in the world, real world, inside the Kent farm, where Lois is trying to reason with Poison Ivy, who has stuck a black mercy onto John's chest to keep him from fighting her. And Ivy's saying, what I'm doing, you know, this isn't how it was supposed to turn out. I didn't mean for anyone to get hurt, but what I'm doing is for my daughter. So basically my actions are justified. And Lois counters that then with um, a true parent could never do this to any child. She's endangered John. She's put John's, you know, she's put John at risk of losing his father and you know that's not the act of one parent to another parent and um so uh, ivy apparently agrees to a certain extent because he rips she rips the black mercy off of john's chest and she says sometimes you have to put your hands in the dirt for something beautiful to grow i'm not trying to find a way back to a dream through your husband and now his friends i'm going to bring her here now <laughs> I love this story. This is a really fun story. But there is a big plot hole in it. So, Ivy recognizes Bruce Wayne. Because Bruce Wayne is famous. He's a famous playboy billionaire, so forth and so on. The famous playboy billionaire is hanging out with a tall, muscular man with black hair who is obviously channeling solar energy. And... He's hanging out with a tall, muscular uh, woman with long black hair. If Ivy can't figure out that this is the Trinity, um, Ivy, I'm going to be charitable and say she's so obsessed. She can't see the forest from the trees. No, well, maybe small pun intended. Um, and so... Um, Ivy says that uh, all plant life survives from the power of the sun. Your husband, or perhaps this woman and this billionaire, seems to be emitting massive amounts of solar energy. My daughter's world is filled with darkness and death. I need something from this world so bright she can see it from the other side. At which point, Clark opens his eyes, and actually all three of them do, and they're, they look down at Lois and John and Ivy with yellow glowing eyes, and in someone else's voice, Clark says, Mother, I'm here. At which point the issue ends. Now, I really, like I said, I really, really like this story. I really, really like Manipal's art. I've been a big fan since the New 52, since New 52 Flash, specifically. Um, <laughs> like I said, there is somewhat of a plot hole in this. I guess you could articulate that Ivy can't tell which one of them the solar energy is coming from, but when it's Clark that opens his eyes and begins speaking, it should be painfully obvious. But beyond that, um, this is a fun story. Um, I've always enjoyed Mongol as a villain. Um, I know a lot of people say that Darkseid is DC's answer to Thanos. I disagree. I say it's Mongol. Um, I don't think that 
uh, ideologically or maybe um, not even ideologically, but in terms of motivation, they're not anything alike. You know, Thanos, in the comics at least, wants to do everything that he does because of his obsession with death. And Mongol just wants to conquer the universe. He just wants to stomp everything in the ground that disagrees with him. And he wants to enslave everything that will that will bend the knee. And you know, even in the War World saga, we saw even more comparisons because we see um, I forget what his four lieutenants uh, were called as a group, but they reminded me a lot of uh, Thanos Thanos's four lieutenants from. Uh, the Infinity miniseries from know, like 2012, 2014, whenever that was, um, and from uh, the Avengers: uh, Infinity War and Endgame, and all that stuff. So, and I, I think there's a lot of similarities between the characters. Um, do I think Mongol could take Thanos in a fight? No. <laughs> but regardless, I, I think there's a lot to be said about how similar they are. Um, like I said, I think the, uh, the artistic portrayal of Poison Ivy is gorgeous. Um, I don't know enough about Poison Ivy to know when she's supposed to have green skin and when she is supposed to look like, uh, a pale skinned Caucasian lady with red hair and freckles. Um, so I don't know how this fits any, I don't know if it's, if this matches continuity or what, I don't know. Um, I believe in New 52, she, she did have like pale white skin. Cause I remember I had like one issue of Justice League United or whatever that was, um, which I didn't read very much of. Um, but beyond that, this is, this is, this is really fun. Um, even though it's morbid, I thought the scene with all the different versions of Superman, um, just laying there having been defeated, um, and there's some effort to actually emulate the art style, like the animated version. There's a lot less lines. The uh, the resurrection Superman with the long hair has a lot of lines around his face. It's kind of either Jurgens-esque or uh, Grummet-esque. And the the version that's supposed to be like All Star Superman, you can tell there was some effort to emulate Quietly's uh, facial style. So really, really uh, fun, um, artistically in this and, you know, maybe not the most complex plot ever, but still really fun. So that is all I have to say about Trinity number five. I hate that it took me about five minutes less time to talk about this than I normally do because I really did enjoy it. There's just, I can't think of anything else to say about it. Oh wait, I know what else I wanted to talk about. Um, as I've mentioned on Twitter over the last few days as I'm recording this on Monday, um, I've really embraced the idea of the Trinity over the last few days. I don't like Batman or Wonder Woman as much as I like Superman, but I like the idea of just knowing what's going on with Superman's two best friends in conjunction with his own adventures and it's enhancing my enjoyment of Superman 
to to fill in the gaps that I've never read with Batman and Wonder Woman stories. And I, I tend to read multiple different eras at a time. The way I do my my subscription on the app is that I make multiple reading lists. I have one for the 90s. I have one for the early 2000s. I have one for the late 2000s. In other words, before Infinite Crisis and after Infinite Crisis. I have one for the New 52. Um, and I have just kind of a one big one for uh, Rebirth. Actually, for, for New 52 Rebirth and after the Rebirth era becomes whatever it is now. Um, and I am, for each era, I am catching either catching up with the Batman and Wonder Woman stories that came before where I'm at in my reading order, or I'm just adding them in and just reading them in conjunction with the Superman stories I'm reading. And it's going to take me a while to get caught up with Rebirth. Um, Because, you know, uh, like, see, there's, there's three Batman books in Rebirth and a Wonder Woman book. And so uh, it's going to take me a while to get caught up to where I am now. But what I'm thinking about doing on the show in the near future, when I've gotten at least somewhat caught up, is every episode where I talk about Trinity, I will make that the A segment, or the, the A comic I read. Technically, Fortress is the A segment, but just bear with me. And then for the B segment, I will, or I would, if I decide to do this, summarize... Um, like an arc of Batman, of Detective Comics, of All-Star Batman, and of Wonder Woman until I'm all caught up to where I am. And then once I'm all caught up, when I do an episode of Trinity, I was like, okay, here's what's going on with the Batman and Wonder Woman comics for this month. And again, I'm not concrete with this idea. It's not set in stone um, because I know myself well enough to know that I may fall out of love with the idea of the Trinity and made, because I do this a lot. I'm like, man, I really, really want to read this other character. And then after a while it becomes tedious and I only want to read Superman. So I may, I know that that may be the case, but I'm going to say that this is the tentative plan for the near future of the show. If you have thoughts about this idea, let me know. If you think it's a great idea, and enough of you think it's a great idea, then I will I will put it in concrete. I will I will make it a real thing. I'm definitely going to do. If I get some pushback from it and go like, no, I don't want to hear about all that. I I just tune in to hear about Superman. Great. I won't worry about it. I I want to make this a as much of a user friendly listening experience as possible, and not just about my own uh, ego and uh, interests. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that uh, is what I had planned to say before I wrapped up my discussion of Trinity number five. So now I'm going to go run a quick ad and then we'll come right back and talk about Superman number 16. And we're back to talk about, once again, Superman number 16, which is cover dated February 1st of 2000. 17 and give me just a second to get to the credits here. 
Hopefully they're not in the back. Nope, there they are. Okay, this story is co-written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. The pencils are by Tony Daniel and Clay Mann. The inks are by Sandu Florea and Seth Mann. The colorist is Denae, D-I-N-E-I, Ribeiro. And the letters are by Rob Lee. Ivan Reese, Auclair Albert, O-C-L-A-I-R, Albert, and Marcelo Maiolo did the main cover with Tony Daniel and Tomeo Mori doing the variant cover. And the main cover is of a whole bunch of different versions of Superman. Let's count them. We have our Rebirth Superman in the front. We have what looks like Ultraman, judging by the back of the cape, just below him. We have the gender-swapped Superwoman from one of the alternate realities. We have Val Zod. We have um, Kong Kennen. We have what looks like, I think, the Justice Lords Superman from the Justice League animated series. We have Calvin Ellis. We have a a light green-skinned Superman, who I will talk about more when we get to him. We have Captain Carrot. We have Sunshine Superman um, from a... I don't know what he's from. I think he's from, like, one panel of Animal Man. <laughs> Back when Morrison was writing Animal Man. I don't know. I just know of him. And um, a version of Superman with a black S on the back of the cape and a couple of the guys that are fairly indistinct. And they are all flying towards the giant image of our villain of this arc, uh, the mysterious cosmic-powered prophecy. And the variant cover, uh, which I like a little better, is of Superman mostly in shadow. His face is completely shadowed. He's firing heat vision beams out of his eyes. Um, there is a... a the cityscape of Metropolis, including the Daily Planet building, is behind him, and the Superman logo is being like sliced up by his heat vision. It's pretty cool. I, I actually like that one a little better. So, quick recap. Clark has discovered that this mysterious being called Prophecy, who kind of looks like Cosmic Skeletor, has been capturing Superman, Supermen from across the universe and depowering them for reasons unknown. And to help stop Prophecy and his army of gatherers, Clark has teamed up with the uh, Justice League Incarnate, which includes Calvin Ellis, uh, the President Superman from another reality, Red Racer, who is an analog to The Flash, Machine Head, who is actually an analog to Ultimate Iron Man, uh, Thunderer, who is in um, a kind of uh, Maori analog to Thor, which is really neat. A gender swap version of Aquaman, Aquawoman, um, and then a like post-apocalyptic version of Batman. And they're pretty neat. And they've all gotten in the Ultima Thule, and they are tracking down the the various supermen that have been captured by prophecy and Clark comes up with this plan he's like we're going to we're going to take the fight straight to prophecy and, and all the other supermen go yeah 
But then just before they can go, Clark uses the teleportation technology on the Ultima Thule to teleport them back to the Justice League Incarnate's headquarters, and he allows himself to be captured alone by prophecy, which is part of his plan, which we'll talk about when we get to it. Okay, <laughs> here we go. So we open with Clark in this chamber that prophecy uses to depower the supermen and absorb their energy. And we see the prophecy is massive. Like he picks up Clark by his cape and holds him up. And prophecy's head is the size of Superman's body. And um, we get an interesting bit of dialogue here. This says, a Superman, you say, hmm? You possess the power I need, and you may indeed look like one, but according to my data, you are nothing but an anomaly. A variable I don't have the luxury of ignoring, which is why I've drained your powers, but still, I don't understand how you're not on the master list. And that's pretty neat. Um, I assume, well, what prophecy means by an anomaly is one of two things. It's either because our Clark, as we know, is from the pre-Flashpoint universe, and he is here on the post-Flashpoint post Earth. Or, it's got something to do with what we're going to find out when we get to Superman Reborn in a couple issues of this series. But it is pretty neat. Um, and so, so Clark asks him, why are you doing this? You know, all these people help keep their world safe. And prophecy says, "So delusional and foolish, you are all nothing but insects to the coming to the coming storm. Your world, my world, will be tossed and torn. Doom is coming for us all, and only when I have the full power of each and every Superman and Superwoman across the multiverse coursing through my body, will I be able to take the field of battle and stop it from destroying my world." And Clark says, "What about all the other worlds?" And prophecy says, "I will consider them after I have saved my own." And, um, so yeah, so prophecy is, knows that something's coming and he thinks the only way to stop it is to absorb the power of all the other supermen. Now, what he thinks is coming is what I think we're eventually going to get to in Doomsday Clock, which is a long way off as far as this show goes. It's like it's still a long way off as far as publication goes because this came out in February, and I don't think Doomsday Clock came out until November. But still, it's going to be a while before we get to it. Um, so Prophecy turns his attention to the Ultima Thule. Now, if you're not familiar with the Ultima Thule, it looks like the Yellow Submarine from the movie Yellow Submarine. And it's a malt, it's a ship that's able to sail the bleed, which is the substance between universes in the multiverse, and it's able to cross from one universe to the other. And it's made out of music, and it's powered by playing it. Sorry, there's a school bus right next to me. Let me just let him go on by. Before he honks his brakes at me again. There we go. Have a nice day. But uh, 
prophecy says, I've scanned this annoying vessel. There are no threats within its hull. All that's left is this interminable music. And he blasts it to a rubble. And, uh, and even though it is, it is largely destroyed, it is still emitting music. And he tosses Clark down into this pit where he's tossed all the other supermen and women and is forcing them to dig for reasons. And we'll get back to that eventually. Um, basically, yeah, all these, all these super people, um, plus Captain Carrot, who's been turned into a regular bunny, are down in this giant pit. They're being guarded by gatherers. They have, like, cosmic pickaxes, and they're digging a giant hole for some reason. So, from there, we go to the House of Heroes in the heart of the multiverse, uh, which is where the Justice League incarnate does its headquarterings. And the Red Racer, he runs up to Calvin Ellis and is like, you know, why are you here? Why aren't you with, you know, the, the Superman from New Earth? And Calvin says, well, because he teleported us back here and we didn't have any say in the thing. And Etrigan Superman says some stuff in rhyme, which I'm not going to repeat because I find that annoying. And um, and basically saying, well, you know, the, the Superman from New Earth said he has a plan. He didn't tell us what it is, but he said he could only do it himself. At which point, the music of the mostly destroyed Ultima Thule begins transmitting into the House of Heroes. And this, like, post-apocalyptic Micronauts Batman says it's some kind of signal coming from the Ultima Thule, a locator beacon. And, um, and this guy, the Thunderer, says he's able to use the, the technology of the, the House of Heroes to triangulate its location. So if they could only get to where the Ultima Thule is, then they could get to where Prophecy is and where all the other Supermen are. And they could stop prophecy and resurrect them, but they don't have the ultimate thule because it's destroyed. And the Thunderer said, it's not like we have another of Nixu Wotan's musical engine thules just sitting in the docking bay and waiting to travel between universes. Wotan said it took a thousand years to build this one. If you don't know who Nixu Wotan is, he is one of the monitors. Now, eventually, um, we are going to which I've talked about often, get to the Justice Doom War. And we're going to encounter the Monitor. And it's going to be explained that when the universe was divided back into 52 multiverses after Infinite Crisis, the one Monitor was divided into, like, retroactively from the beginning of time into... And at least 52 different monitors. Probably a whole lot more than that, but there's one monitor assigned to each of the 52 uh, multiple universes. And Nixuotan is one of them, and it's implied that he is the monitor of New Earth slash Earth Zero. And so the Red Racer says, well, if it's going to take a thousand years, I guess I better get started. He tells Machine Head to pull up schematics, and he has their version of Green Lantern, who either is supposed to be a demon or an alien, start gathering the parts and meet him in the docking bay. And Calvin Ellis is like, whoa, 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 what are you doing, man? And Red Racer's like, look, I'm going to 
compressed time with my super speed and I'm going to I'm going to rebuild the ultimate I'm going to rebuild a new ultimate thule and um and Calvin's like this is going to kill you man and Red Race is like well that's what flashes do we sacrifice ourselves to save the multiverse and Red Racer tells Calvin to tell Hank to stay strong and that I love him um I think Hank is referring to his universe's version of Green Lantern, and the two of them are a romantic couple. And at which point, Red Racer begins going as fast as he can, putting a new Ultima Thule together. And meanwhile, back on this place where um, Prophecy has all the super people digging, we see that there is a version of Bizarro there. Um, super, this, this super woman is telling Clark, what are you doing? You know, if you don't, you know, why are you standing around not working? If you don't work, they'll kill us. They'll kill you. And Clark says, they can't kill me. At which point, um, uh, um, what's his name? Kong Kenan just gets like tossed down into the pit and Superman begins talking with Kenan, uh, cause he can speak Mandarin and they do the thing in here that they do in new Superman where, um, only it's reversed. Like in New Superman, uh, all the words in black are understood to be in Mandarin and words that are written in either blue or red are supposed to be in English. Here, everything written in red is in Mandarin. And this is essentially the first time they've met without being in the middle of a fight. And, um, and, you know, they said, you know, look, I, Kenan's like, you know, this isn't how I was hoping we'd meet. And Clark's like, you know, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And uh, one of the gatherers, like, blasts the ground at their feet and says, unwarranted consumption of time, dig deeper. We don't know <laughs> why they're digging yet. But meanwhile, Red Racer is going super duper fast, and we see blood coming out of his nose as he's, like, lightning is coming out of his body, and he is tearing himself apart with his speed. Um, and, uh, back on, back in the pit, this green skinned, uh, Superman asks Clark, what do you mean they can't kill you? Now I want to talk about this guy for just a second, because we are actually going to see this green skinned Superman again. Um, and it will be no surprise to anyone that it's going to be a reference to the Justice Doom War. And when we see a brief bit of his costume pulled back, not only does he have green skin, but he has a blue cape with a popped collar. And his Superman symbol is surrounded by crossed, um, uh, like red straps that cross his chest. So his costume looks like a cross between that of Superman in Martian Manhunter. And eventually, in a Lex Luthor one-shot during the Justice Doom War, this guy's going to make a brief appearance, and he, I believe, is supposed to be the romantic partner of the reformed Luthor from their respective reality. So it's, it's just neat that this guy appeared here first, and he actually gets, like, an appearance. He's supposed to be, like, half Martian, I think. And that's pretty neat. But uh, meanwhile... Uh, Red Racer has put the new version 
of the Ultima Thule back together, and we see Calvin just holding his skeleton inside his suit now. And it says, thanks to Red Racer, the new Earth Superman's plan worked. The Ultima Thules are in contact. Now we trust in each other. The League stays here to protect our house and go down fighting if need be to keep the multiverse safe while the rest of the super folks and I followed the music. Now back on the, back in the pit, Superman answers, or Clark answers the Martian Superman's question about what do you mean they can't kill you? And Clark says, you misunderstood what I said. That beast might be able to kill me, but he can't kill us. You're supermen and superwomen. We're all created equal because we want to help, and nothing will ever destroy that as long as there's one person left taking a breath with an S on their chest. And they said, well, how did Prophecy get you? He says, actually, I got him. I let him capture me to break you all out and help you get your powers back. And um, uh, meanwhile, uh, Prophecy is kind of looming over them all above the pit. He tosses Sunshine Superman and he says, execute, execute this group and bury them. Once I siphon the rest, they can be interred on top of them. So I think what, what they're digging is supposed to be their own mass grave, which is pretty dark. And Prophecy says to toss the wreckage of the Ultima Thule in as well. And just then, the new Ultima Thule bursts through the multidimensional barrier and... Um, um, you know, as right before the Ultima Thule bursts in, um, Kenan looks at Clark as he catches the unconscious Sunshine Superman and says, what makes you think hope in a place like this stands a chance? And Clark says, because it's in places like this that hope burns brightest. And as he says this, and as the Ultima Thule bursts through, Clark's eyes and his S symbol light up like glowing bluish white. And he says, my power is surging back. Everybody, take each other's hands now. And all of their S symbols are glowing bluish white. And uh, Captain Carrot has returned to his empowered form. And we see that all the supermen and women that are in these, like, collecting collection cells, they're all glowing blue-white. And um, as... Calvin Ellis and Etrigan and Superman Beyond and Super Chief and unfortunately Overman all fly out of the Ultima Thule. They are all glowing bluish white as well. And um, they all attack prophecy. And we see that one of them is this other post-apocalyptic Superman who looks like he's from um, maybe like Gears of War or something like that. And um, Prophecy begins firing energy at them from his right hand. Uh, this like apocalyptic Superman has got a gun and he's blasting all of the gatherers. And Captain Carrot punches Prophecy upside his head. And like, and um, uh, Clark says, "All is he has all of our power in his one hand." And they, as he, as Prophecy's firing this massive energy beam, they use their heat vision to like force his hand back. And then one of them says, "Together as one unit, take off his hand." And then a bunch of them just like fly through his wrist 
and sever his hand, which again is pretty dark. And he shouts, no! And as he falls, uh, this energy begins to coalesce around him and his body begins to disappear. Um, and then um, uh, um, Prophecy is shouting, I am the savior of the universe. I am all that stands between us and oblivion. And Clark realizes that he's fallen into some kind of transporter field. And uh, Calvin Ellis says, Hopefully whatever prophecy was getting ready to battle was a figment of his own imagination or vainglory. And uh, he lets Clark know that Red Racer died to get the other Ultima Thule built and um, so that they could enact Clark's plan, which we will come back to in a moment. And so um, the rest of the Supermen drop Clark and Kennen off on their Earth at which point we have a scene of the two of them sitting on top of an arch in Shanghai eating uh, eating something called Xiaolong Bao and then um, and then they're eating something called Gan Xiao Nuwa which is spicy tender frog crisp rice cake nubs potato slices and bamboo which other than the frog sounds pretty good um and Clark says, so, Kenan, anything I can help you with about being Superman? Questions you might have? And Kenan says, oh, just about a million of them. And Clark says, I always found it best to start with the easiest. I'm all ears, Kenan. Fire away. And Kenan, misunderstanding this American idiom, says, why would I want to put fire to your ears? In the last page, I don't know who drew this last page, but it is stunning. Let me look at... Um, I'm guessing it's Clayman because I can I can tell the shift between when Tony Daniels is doing the art and Clayman is doing the art. Um, but this last page looks really really good, and it is prophecy in some kind of like kneeling on the ground with this like shackles around his neck that go down to his wrists and go down to his legs. And Mr. Oz is standing in front of him saying, you have to admire your persistence and conviction, not to mention your sensitive ear to the fabric of space and time. You appear willingness to, willingness to fight that which cannot be beaten, to bite back your fear of the unknown and bear arms against almost certain doom. Yes, I do applaud your bizarre sense of self-preservation prophecy. But you were in the wrong place at the wrong time with a method that was quite unsound. And so this is the first time that we're seeing Mr. Oz in this particular title, I think. Um, he may have had like a really brief one-panel appearance at the end of the Eradicator arc, but I, I don't know for sure. But Mr. Oz has mostly been a Jurgens thing. He's mostly been... Uh, a character that has appeared in action comics. And the fact that he's appearing in this book now kind of maybe answers some of my questions about this arc. So this three-parter was glorious nonsense. It's really fun. I really like seeing the Justice League incarnate. 
I really like seeing all the different versions of Superman from across the multiverse. But the story itself is kind of fluff. Um, I've, I've made the comparison before that the stories in Superman are more fun and the stories in action comics are more thematic. And this is a very fun story that doesn't really seem to have a function. And there's a lot of gaping plot holes in it, especially in this issue. Like, for example, Clark says, okay, I'm going to let myself get captured as part of the plan. We never see what Clark says his plan is going to be. Now, the assumption after reading it is that Clark knew that the Ultima Thule would broadcast a signal back to the House of Heroes. Now, that's a reasonable assumption to make because, again, this is the Clark specifically from the era between Infinite Crisis and um, Flashpoint. So this is the Clark who's had his continuity soft-rebooted after Infinite Crisis. Therefore, it's the Clark from Final Crisis, and specifically from Final Crisis Superman Beyond, which is where we get the first appearance of the Ultima Thule. Therefore, Clark has been on the Ultima Thule before and should be relatively familiar with how it works. Now, he acts like he's kind of unfamiliar with it, in the in episode in issue fourteen, I don't know if that was just a miscommunication or what, or maybe I'm remembering wrong because it's been a few weeks since we've talked about that issue. But if we're going with strict continuity, this Clark should know how the ultimate Thule works. So it's reasonable that he would believe that the Thule would broadcast the signals to the House of Heroes. Now, if that's the case, how do you, how did he expect the rest of the Supermen or the rest of the J- Justice League incarnate? to come after him. That's the, that's the hole in the plot. And if he, if his plot was, don't worry, they'll build a new one. That super speed guy can do it. Then he just sacrificed another superhero. So I don't think that exactly was what his plan is. And I don't think Clark really had a plan other than I'm going to go wherever prophecy is and wherever all the captured supermen and women are and I'm going to motivate them to fight back which feels hazy (laughs) at best now the other thing I don't get is how their powers get back um there's there's not an explanation for it it's like let's all believe in hope really hard maybe I don't know it's like they could have, if that's the case, they could have gotten their powers back at any time by just being positive. It happens in conjunction with the Ultima Thule crashing <clears throat> into Prophecy's place, um, you know, pocket, planet, whatever. Um, but again, their powers just seem to come back just because. So, I, I don't know what to think about that. If one extra panel had been added where maybe the, the Ultima Thule crashed into whatever device Prophecy is using to drain the powers, then maybe they could have all gone rushing back into all the supermen who'd had their powers stolen. 
but it just feels like we got our powers back because we're all together and we all believe in each other, which, um, you know, the power of friendship has a place and that place is my little pony and the Care Bears, um, which is really fun. And every time there's a power of friendship moment in my little pony, when my daughter would watch it when she was younger, I would always get like a warm fuzzy. I don't know if it really applies here. If it was like a Morrison thing, I would kind of get it, but I don't know. It's, it, it, it's fun, but it doesn't make a ton of sense. But with that said, it's really fun and it looks really cool. So this is, um, like I said, this is a fun cotton candy story. That's a, it's a lot of fluff. It doesn't really have a function, but here's what I think happened. Um, I think I'm, I'm like 99% sure that Superman reborn, which we'll talk, be talking about in a couple of weeks was Jurgen's plan. And he got this plan run through editorials. Like I'm going to do this thing, but, and I need you guys not to do anything really, you know, uh, continuity adding to or taking away from or messing with Superman until I can, in, until we start it. And so I think this was just kind of filler. And by adding Mr. Oz at the end, it's kind of, you can kind of view it as kind of a prelude to, to Superman Reborn. Even though Mr. Oz doesn't feature specifically in that story, he is revealed to have set the groundwork for events to take place in it. And so, you know, without, <laughs> without having an explanation or exact knowing exactly why they did it this way, that's just the theory I'm going for. I don't dislike this story in any way. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a very light story and sometimes that's fine. So that is all I have to say about this issue. So I'm going to take one more break and then we'll come right back and wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 48 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. We're getting very, very close to episode 50. I originally planned on the 50th episode to come out next week, to be the last episode before Christmas. And I still have a Christmas episode planned um, I think it's going to have to be 49 and I'll have to think something to do for 50. I'm trying not to cover my favorite stories that come before, um, that come before reborn too much on this show, because that's kind of the whole purpose of the Patreon. And I'm already, I already have one story from the nineties that I'm going to have to skip on the Patreon when I get to it. The, uh, the, the rage of angels that I talked about after the tropical storm a few weeks ago, um, or a couple months ago by now, but I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. If you guys have a Superman story that you'd really, really like me to talk about, um, I would be happy to check that out. It can be from, pretty much any era except the silver age because i don't like the silver age um 
you know, hit me up and I will definitely consider it. Uh, you can find me on places to hit me up on Twitter at about Superman. Um, there's the truth, justice and hope podcast, Facebook page. Um, you can find me on Instagram at truth, justice and hope. There's a truth, justice and hope Tumblr page, though I haven't really done anything with it. Uh, there was a hive account, but apparently hive has caved, which makes me really nervous because I can't get to the account page of the app to delete my account and it's an app only service. There is no web page for it. So yeah, there's that. That's scary. Um, but yeah, you can reach out to me through any of those places. Uh, you can also email me directly at truthjusticeandhope@gmail.com. Um, in the meantime, I will be thinking about what I'm going to do for episode 50, which should be coming out the week after Christmas, unless something comes up and gets in the way. And I have to extend it even further, which I hope I don't have to do. Um, if you are enjoying what I'm doing here on the show, you can uh, subscribe to the aforementioned Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash truth slash truth justice and hope and like i said that's where i talk about sorry i'm having to look over my shoulder because there's this car that's trying to park next to me and he's getting real close and i'm really going to hit my car hey, how you doing all right he has made a safe landing good good for you buddy <laughs> sorry getting a little snarky there um but anyway, over on the Patreon is where I talk about my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories, beginning with 1987's Pocket Universe Superboy Saga. I'm currently up to the Death of Superman story arc. Um, after that, of course, I'll be doing Funeral for a Friend and Reign of the Superman, which is my favorite, uh, one of my all-time favorite Superman stories. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, for $3 a month, you get four... Uh, episodes a month, so it's less than a dollar an episode, which I think is a pretty good deal. You may want to check that out. If you'd like to support the show, but don't want to commit to doing so financially, I would love, love it if you could leave me a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Um, so let's see. So like I said, next episode is probably going to be the Christmas Spectacular, followed by Whatever it is I'm going to do for episode 50. But when we get back to the regular regular rotation, let's take a look at what's coming up next. So we just talked about February 1st. So the week of February 8th was Action Comics 973 and New Superman number 8. And that issue of Action Comics begins the mild-mannered two-parter where we find out more revelations about the mysterious other Clark. Um, and it's a really good arc. I, I enjoy it a lot. And then um, that issue of New Superman continues um, the story where Kenan is getting some training on how to better control his powers, and the new Batman of China is fighting for uh, the title 
of Batman of China against his rival from his training school. And so these are both really, really good issues. I'm very excited to talk to you about them when I get back to the main rotation. But until next week, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.